Good morning. Let's try that again. Can you hear? Are you here? All right. So as a courtesy to other people, would you check and make sure that your cell phone is off? And always thank you to those people back there. And for those of you who are at home watching us on live stream, uh, welcome. And if you are within the proximity of this place, we invite you to come in person. The sacred cookies taste better if you're actually here in person. <laughs> anyway. So uh, we begin this gathering in silence, so do whatever you need to do to be here. Oops. Thanks to Callista and Wayne for this. Patience. So just settle yourself, take a deep breath, and be here. <clears throat> and always our prayer is that grace be in our heads and in our thinking, grace be in our eyes and in our seeing, grace be in our ears and in our hearing, grace be in our mouths and in our speaking, grace be in our hearts and in our understanding, and grace be in our ends and at our departing. So, my hope is you find what you're looking for here today, and um, just be aware that we honor the values of peace and truth and love in this place, and we do so with a belief that what we do in here benefits all people everywhere. So, no matter who you are, no matter where you are in your spiritual journey, you are welcome here. I know that Frida announced this, but I want to bring it up again. Today is the 117th anniversary of St. Paul's. And um, there would be a celebration in here, uh, a meal in here later after the concert that will be at 4 o'clock. 4 o'clock concert is going to be smashing. Uh, avail yourself to come. I know it's a hassle to do that, but come back 4 o'clock. And um, so one of the things that we would like at the end of this gathering today, if I don't mention it, is to facilitate and help the custodial people and others. When we break up here today, if some of you could assist in making sure that these chairs are moved to that wall and these chairs are moved to that wall, that would be very helpful. And I think you want to come today uh, for this. I mean, it's a historic occasion. George Santos' mother helped found this church. <laughs> And um, I'm just repeating what I've been told. So um, come this afternoon. I, and I, I don't know if it's too late to register for the meal, but if you went out, as you go out to the welcome table, I'm sure somebody can tell you. And I want to keep reminding you also <clears throat> that we're sponsoring this event with Susanna Herschel, co-sponsoring with Beth Yashurin. Uh, March the 2nd, 
Uh, it's going to be a great event, and um, there's information on the Ordinary Life website, on the St. Paul's website, and it will direct you to the Beth Yeshurun place where you can make a registration for that. There's no charge for this, but um, I think that you would really like to do it. She is a professor at Dartmouth and uh, an outstanding speaker. Okay. So let's begin. By a show of hands, how many of you hate being asked to raise your hand in a place like this? <laughs> it didn't work. So we had an assignment last week, remember? <clears throat> assignment for the pop quiz that's coming up. Um, sorry. I, I, I gave you an assignment last week to do three things. One is to notice, um, take three times during the week to notice what's happening in your body. I mean, um, we don't we we don't have bodies. We are bodies. And our bodies do things on their own, if you haven't noticed that, that we don't have some of it any control over, like a stroke or having your heart stop beating or aging and all that stuff. So pay attention to your body. When I did the 10-day meditation training, which I'm going to reference later in the talk, we spent the first three days just making physical passes through our body, paying attention to what's going on to the body. And um, white Western Protestant Christianity separated people from their bodies and made religion something that happens from here up. And that's why most, a lot of white Western Christians, especially men, are uncomfortable with their bodies. And dancing and doing things like that. So pay attention to your body. It's a very helpful thing to do. Isn't it ironic that white Western Protestant Christianity focused on what happens from the neck up and then became dishonest about what happens in knowledge and information? It's, I find that one of the great, great ironies. So pay attention to your body. The second part of the assignment was to pay attention to your breathing. Don't try to control it. Just notice it. Your body breathes. Without breathing, of course, we would not be. All religious systems that I know anything about have some form of breathing meditation. And they, and, and they include the breath in some form in their theology. In Christian theology, the expression of part of the Godhead is breath, the Holy Spirit, breath, pneuma, the word that we get pneumatic and pneumonia from. That's, that's what that word is. So you notice how cost-effective meditation is? You don't have to buy anything to focus on your breathing. It's with you all the time. And while you are attempting to focus on your breathing, you will learn how humiliating meditation is because you can't focus on your breathing for more than two seconds when you become aware that your monkey mind has moved in to distract you. So here you are learning 
how your mind works, getting to see the difference between monkey mind and observing mind. That's a major thing to learn in life. Monkey mind is reactive. Observing mind gives us a chance to uh, react from our values. For years and years in here and in my teaching, I would lift up the values of peace, hope, and joy. But then, growing out of my own meditation practice, I added to peace, hope, and joy two words, patience, which is non-reactivity. Just take a, take a chance before you react not to do something, did you know that there is a reported road rage gun shooting in Harris County, Houston, Texas, every day? Because people react. Not a death every day, but a reported shooting of road rage every day. So you don't have to react. Just take a pause, be patient. And then the humility part is about non-judging, which we will get to later. And then the third thing in your assignment was to notice something about you, around you, anything, and give it your absolute undivided attention for five minutes. Because careful attention paid to anything is an open door to sacred mystery. Regardless of how insignificant the object might seem to be, truly being aware has enormous potential. Now, the only thing that is difficult about this is remembering to do it. And what's so important about this practice, all of these, is that they are based on right here, right now. You cannot contemplate or be mindful about something that was or is yet to be. It has to be right here. This present moment, this is the ground on which life is lived. You cannot live anywhere else. And by the way, as I said last week, this is not narcissistic. It won't pull you away from other people. Quite the contrary. Being present is what we most want from each other. That we are present with each other and not constantly doing this with our devices. And you don't have to wait to do this. You can do it, well, wait till after class. But you can do it right now. And so these three simple practices make up the doorway to the present moment. And the present moment is about learning how to be present to presence with a capital P. Now, you might remember that last week. I call these things etudes studies. They're practices that equip us to get ready to play the game of life. The um, spiritual teacher that I had back in the decade, back in the 60s, decades ago, a guy that I refer to as George, a man that I love very much, he said that um, the thing that I needed to remember was that life is a game. And then he said, the first rule of this game is to remember that this is not a game. Now, there's the paradox that's true. Life's a game, but it's not a game. The first rule is to remember that. So, by a show of hands, you don't want to be embarrassed, do you? How many of you did this? One, two, three. The rest of you, four, five. 
are going to hell. <laughs> no, that's not true. You're missing an opportunity. That's what. And if you weren't here last week, you didn't get the assignment, so you're excused. But if you were here, maybe even if you were here, you missed it. That's one of the reasons I'm giving some in-depth attention to this business about being present and paying attention. Because even if you were here last week, the assignment may have left you the moment you walked out of the room. That happens to us, you know. I've had somebody tell me years ago that one of the things that they liked about being able to invite somebody to come to Ordinary Life was they were able to say to them, you don't have to check your mind at the door. Well, that's true. But you don't have to leave your mind here either when you leave. <laughs> you can take it with you and take some of this and begin to put it into, into practice. So one of the questions um, frequently asked, by students, after they miss a class, is, did I miss anything? I wasn't here last week, did I miss anything? And Tom Wayman, who is a Canadian poet, has crafted an answer to this that I want to read to you. And it's not just about missing class, though that may be the first best way to hear it. It's about what we're talking about right now. It's about paying attention. So here's the poem by, by, by Tom Wayman. Did I miss anything? nothing. When we realized you weren't here, we sat with our hands folded on our desk in silence for the full two hours. Did I miss anything? Everything. I gave an exam worth 40% of the grade for this term and assigned some reading due today on which I'm about to hand out a quiz worth 50% of your entire grade. Did I miss anything? Nothing. None of the content of this course has any value or meaning. Take as many days off as you like. Any activities we undertake as a class, I assure you will not matter either to you or to me and are without purpose. Did I miss anything? Everything. A few minutes after we began last time, a shaft of light descended and an angel or other heavenly being appeared and revealed to us what each woman or man must do to attain divine wisdom in this life and in the hereafter. This is the last time the class will meet before we disperse to bring this good news to all people on earth. Did I miss anything? Nothing. When you are not present, how could something significant occur? Did I miss anything? Everything. Contained in this class is a microcosm of human existence, a symbol for you to query and question and ponder. This is not the only place such an opportunity has been gathered, but it was one place, and you weren't here. Being here is the essence of spiritual work, and therefore our spiritual work is so simple and so very difficult. It, is, it begins with learning to pay attention, to be here, to develop the resources to be what is, to be with what is, and to do this with faith and with patience and with hope and with all those other qualities that we talk about. 
And these are the realities that we'll be dealing with as we move forward in, in the year here ahead. Being present, paying attention, is the first foundational step or practice in any spiritual life. It is of critical importance in walking the human path. That's today's class in a sentence. Now, what I intended to do today, and still do, is to say that what being open by awareness does is that it opens us to be inhabited by a number of other guests, and one of the first of these guests is wonder itself. Every one of you has been visited by wonder. It's a natural state of most children. How many times, and every parent in here has done this, have you said to your child, will you pay attention, which is exactly what the child is doing at the time, just not paying attention to what you want the child to pay attention to. Children naturally know how to do one thing at a time, how to be so caught up in something that they are totally absorbed. Wonder transforms the paying attention that we talked about last week into one of life's greatest joys. One of my most cherished possessions is a photograph of one of my granddaughters encountering bubbles for the first time. You know those things that you used to get at the dime store, you zip a little wand in the thing and you blow it and it goes out like that? <clears throat> Experiencing life through wondrous awareness is what lets children live in a world that we adults can so easily lose sight of that we scarcely believe that it exists. When I was in clinical training, I had a professor say to me one day, never miss the opportunity to flirt with an infant because you're looking into the face of God. Now, I may have more academic knowledge than I had when I, when I was eight years old, but I promise you I was a better theologian when I was eight than I am now because I was closer to source. It hadn't been cluttered up with all the facts and opinions and things. Years ago, I heard Parker Palmer, who is a Quaker spiritual teacher, if you don't know Parker Palmer, you should Google some of his works on Amazon, see most popular, and maybe read a few books by him. He's a Quaker guy. I think he's still alive, who uh, just writes these wonderful books about the very things that we're talking about, but from a, a very different perspective than mine. Parker Palmer, I heard him tell the story, and later it's in some writing he did. Now, this sounds like one of those stories that Marcus Borg would say about I don't know if this really happened or not, but I know it's true, that kind of story. So here's the story that Parker Palmer told. There was a three-year-old girl. She was the firstborn and only child in her family, but now her mother was pregnant again, and the little girl was very excited about having a little brother or sister. Within a few hours of the parents bringing a new baby boy home from the hospital, the girl made a request. She wanted to be alone with her new brother in his room with the door shut 
And her insistence about being alone with the baby door closed made her parents a bit uneasy. They had installed a baby monitor in the newborn's room, so they decided to let their daughter do this. If they heard the slightest indication that anything strange was happening, they could be in the baby's room in an instant. So the little girl goes into her brother's room and shuts the door. The parents go to the listening station. They heard their daughter's footsteps moving across the baby's room, imagined her standing over the baby's crib, and then they heard her say to her three-day-old brother, tell me about God I've almost forgotten. We come from God. We go to God. But in the process of doing a thing we call growing up, we lose sight of this. We, we know the way to walk. Everybody in this room knows the way to walk. In my counseling practice, if I say to somebody, tell me where you're stuck in life, they know immediately. We all do. Life is hard. And the cost of daily living can be corrosive. We make choices and commitments that carry costs we didn't know about when we made those commitments. And even so, there is still something within us that always knows what's right for us and what's wrong for us. And these things get easily overruled by what St. Paul called the principalities and the powers of the world. That is to say, we sacrifice so much in the process of doing what we think we need to do in order to fit in, be accepted, and make it that we lose it. So I want to be clear that the teachings I'm offering in here are not some sort of self-help approach to bettering your life. I do want to make suggestions of tools that can make things better, but um, this is about something else. This is about that paying attention, just to be with what is. Now, <clears throat> I can continue the rest of this time today, I could, by teaching about wonder as a guess that we open ourselves to when we open ourselves at all. And before I'm done today, I promise you I will return to that. But right now, I feel the need to interrupt this program for an important announcement. The Sufi mystic poet Rumi, I mentioned Sufism last week, the mystical branch of Islam. And uh, there's so many wonderful poets and writers from this tradition. If you do not own the book, I can't help it. If you don't own the book, Love Poems from God, download it today and read it. You'll encounter some of these wonderful mystic writers in short pieces that are so beautiful. The woman uh, that I mentioned last week, the woman who had the bucket of water and the torches of fire, she's in that, in, in that book, Love Poems from God. Anyway, Rumi has a poem in, in, that he calls The Guest House. This human being is a guest house. This human being is a guest house. Every morning a new arrival, a joy, a depression, a meanness, some momentary awareness comes, an unexpected visitor. Welcome and entertain them all. Even if they are a crowd of sorrows who violently sweep your house empty of its furniture. Still treat each guest honorably. 
He may be clearing you out for some new delight. The dark thought, the shame, the malice. Meet them at the door laughing and invite them in. I'll just stop here. Rumi contributed something to me. You all have an inner voice? Yes, the inner voice to talk to you? You do, right? You have an inner voice. I named mine. And um, I got the idea from Rumi. I stole the idea from Rumi. He doesn't know it. He's dead. Uh, I wanted to have a feminine name because I think she's kind of wily. But I couldn't quite think of the name, but I got it from this poem. My inner voice is malice. And I have avowed my daily meditation that I see every morning. It says, I do not take seriously anything malice says to me. The dark thought, the shame, the malice. Meet them at the door laughing and invite them in. Be grateful for whoever comes because each has been sent as a guide from beyond. I love his poems. So right after we met here last week, we got assaulted by yet another mass shooting. And I can't write these texts fast enough to keep up with the tragedies that are happening out there. I'd written all this before the beating that happened in Memphis. And then um, <clears throat> I woke up Saturday morning. There was another shooting in Los Angeles. Now, you are a smart, well-read, knowledgeable people, so I think to say almost anything to you about gun violence in this country uh, is certainly constitutes what they call preaching to the choir. You know. But at the same time, I don't think that it's within the sphere of integrity to meet and pretend this isn't going on out there. We got a psychosis as a nation. So I want to operate with integrity by at least bringing it up and acknowledging that, that our country's just crazy. There have been more mass shootings in the United States this year than there have been days. So last year, I came up with a new word to describe the psychosis. You know, for a long time, I've said that the national religion, the real national religion in the United States is consumerism, but I coined a new word. And I'm, I mentioned to Casey Kelly, who is sitting here, I said, Casey, could you come up with a logo for this new word that I have coined for our psychosis? And we talked about things to do back and forth about it. And actually, your sister? Yes, in Kansas City. I think the your, your sister designed the logo. So, so this is Casey and I's idea that her sister did, and we came up that we were going to use the Albert Breck praying hands. And the word that I came up with is fundamentalism. And this is the logo. <clears throat> hmm? Missing the flag. Well, it misses something. Uh, Casey made me a couple of t-shirts with it, and I wore them because I'm not afraid of anything out there, evidently. So. But this doesn't seem complete. 
So we never did anything with it because I was thinking about maybe we make a bunch of T-shirts and raise money for near life and have speakers and that sort of thing. We just, just didn't do it. But after the most recent shooting, it hit me that what this design lacked was another phrase. Not the flag, although that is a good idea. So the phrase that I suggested to Casey is this. Fundamentalism, America's true religion. Now, if anybody here has got a few spare tens of thousands of dollars, this is my plan, that we take this logo and we put it on a billboard on Highway 59 leading into town. And I don't know whether uh, you, the, the question mark should go after the phrase or not. And then just a little word down in uh, the lower right-hand corner it says, we reject this religion, ordinary life, come and visit. Now, a couple things would happen. I would lose my job, but <laughs> folks, that's evangelism. To get the message out that we have a psychosis that needs to stop, that's evangelism. My spiritual teacher who led me into this territory back in the 60s, George, as I said, a man I loved deeply, said to me when I complained about how hard the meditation practice was that I was doing, he, I said, you know, George, this is really uncomfortable for me. Now, this is in the 60s. I had not done union training or anything like that. And George said to me, well, it's just the way it is. When you open your door in the morning, what do you get? Whatever's out there. You don't always get pleasantness and sunshine. You get some dark days and some hard facts. One of the reasons I love the Book of Joy and then the documentary, which you've not seen, it's on Netflix, about the Dalai Lama and the Des Desmond Tutu. By the way, in the scene on the movie cover on the, on the, for the movie documentary, what they are doing is dancing together. The Dalai Lama is not real comfortable with dancing, but he did a little bit. These guys have a hard history. Apartheid, um, the Chinese in Tibet, and somebody can say, yes, apartheid is still going on, yes, uh, Tibet is still overtaken by the Chinese, and these two guys, of course, Tutu is dead, deceased last year, but these two guys remain a beacon of how to maintain a spiritual, joyful presence in spite of what they were doing and enduring. I believe that you and I can make a difference in and to and for the troubled places where we live out our lives. One of the fundamental principles of ordinary life is that love changes the course of our world. Wait a minute. There was another guy who had that idea. Um, his name was Joshua? Yeshua? Jesus? He believed that. You know, there are people in this room right now, as well as people who are viewing on the live stream, who have been wounded 
by some of the church's idiotic stance over this issue of full inclusion. It is so sad. And it is so ironic that institutions that claim to teach that God is love end up holding beliefs that exclude other people. So again, knowing that I am preaching to the choir and thank grace that this class was one of the first aspects of St. Paul that joined the reconciling congregation movement years and years ago. Religious beliefs come from our minds, not from the mind of God. They come from human minds. And even though so, such so-called religious leaders say they're only abiding by what they call revealed truth, genuine revelation, the encounter with the sacred, has no connection to religious beliefs. One of the reasons I'm devoting so much time to this matter of awareness is so that you can learn and experience for yourself that awareness has no content. It's about a heart overflowing with love. It's about an experience. Some people think that believing in Jesus provides them with a thing they call salvation so that in the end they end up worshiping their beliefs about Jesus and not actually following Jesus. They do not make a concerted effort to live by his teachings or to follow the example set by his life. So at this point in my life and in my teaching, I want to be as clear as possible that it's time for us, if we want to be in the Christian tradition, to pay attention and give awareness to what Jesus himself gave awareness to. Jesus was about bringing love to his religion, Judaism, bringing love to the country or to the nation of Israel as he understood it at the moment. And if we want to be followers of Jesus, that must be our mission as well. I think this is critically important time for us to do this, the survival of our planet. Uh, and the continuation of our nation's democracy requires real solutions to the problems that are confronting us. My faith and trust is that the vision of Jesus is what is needed. The consequences of climate change are coming and likely are not going to be averted. I'm thinking about the ongoing crisis, the water crisis that's happening in Arizona. The more that the allies of Ukraine embolden their pushing against Russia, the more likely is Putin's willingness to use nuclear weapons. So not only is our democracy threatened by a lack of civility among partisan party players, but also religion is being used to restrict the teaching of historical facts to children in our schools. And our economy has never been so skewed in favor of the rich as it is right now. So I'm contending that we need to be aware. We need to be aware without becoming possessed by what we are becoming aware of. Make sense? So meditation begins with this long, loving look at what is. Now, those of you who attend the liturgy in the cathedral across the plaza likely notice the stained glass windows there. We have beautiful stained glass. It's a great thing to do when you're bored with a sermon. There are four storytelling windows in this 
church. I don't know if you've noticed that. There are the two in the middle on the side of the nave. You go into the church and you look up and it's the shape of a boat. That's Noah's Ark. Save the world. That's why it's shaped like that. So you've got two-story telling windows and stained glass all around except in the transepts. And you've got these two awful pictures of the Wesley brothers. Sorry, they just, I wish we'd put something else up there, or they'd put something up when they did it. Um, so this is the picture of John Wesley that's up. We don't have, I don't have a photograph. Uh, this is the actual photograph of the one that's in, in the sanctuary. I don't have the photograph of his brother Charles, Johnny and Charlie. Those of you who don't know, uh, John, Johnny Wesley, was obsessed. What he, had a, he had a couple of psychological problems. He had obsessive-compulsive disorder, and he had an attachment disorder. There's a whole other story about that. It's really funny to me. Uh, the, he had an obsessive-compulsive disorder because he wrote down everything. He wrote down when he went to the bathroom. Yeah, that's pretty good, obsessive-compulsive. So he brought all this obsessive compulsive stuff into what he called the Holiness Club at, at, at Oxford when he was doing his work to transform the Church of England. So he, he and his brother started these groups called the Holiness Club. Can you imagine? <laughs> hey, you want to come to the Holiness Club? I don't think so. I've got a plan. I'm going bowling that night. So I'm going to go. But they would write down everything about Bible study and everything about prayer. And that's what they, they had this method for everything. So Methodists began as a derisive word. You know those people who have a method for everything, the Methodists? That's, 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 if you didn't know. So Charles was the great hymn writer. Um, and his most successful famous hymn, If You Judge By How Well Known, How Much Loved and Widely Published It Is, is a hymn that we know is love divine, all love's excelling. This, here, this hymn appears in over 1,300 different hymnals all over the world. It was sung, this hymn, at Queen Elizabeth's funeral last year, you might remember. And um, like all good theology folks, it's poetry. It's not fact, okay? Here it is, poetry. Loved, I was going to sing it for you, but I will spare you that. <laughs> Love divine, all loves excelling, joy of heaven to earth come down. Fix in us thy humble dwelling, all thy faithful mercies crown. Jesus, thou art all compassion, pure unbounded love thou art. Visit us with thy salvation. Enter every trembling heart. And then the last verse goes, Finish then thy new creation, true and spotless, let us be. Let us see thy great salvation, perfectly restored in thee, changed from glory until glo into glory, till in heaven we take our place, till we crest our, cast our crowns before thee, lost in wonder, love, and praise. So rationality pushes wonder out of the way for most of us. So we end up living in a boringly small world devoid of sacred mystery. 
And one of the values of venturing into other religious traditions is that they have not, I'm thinking specifically about Sufism, Hinduism, and some aspects of Buddhism, they've not lost sight of this sacred space in which we live. So several years ago, um, after seeing the profound it had, the profound impact it had on two of my closest friends, um, one is my wife, and the other is Dr. Don Williamson, who is deceased now, one of my closest friends. I decided to go and do the training in a meditation practice that's called the 10-day Vipassana meditation practice. If you want to go, it's free. I don't charge for it. And this is over 25 years ago, and I will tell you that it's one of the hardest things I have ever done. And it's also one of the most beneficial things I've ever done. Ten days. No speaking. No writing. No reading. No joke telling. Not even able to look another person in the face. Ten days. Seventeen and a half hours a day sitting with appropriate breaks for a meal and potty and that sort of thing. 17 and a half hours a day sitting on your cushion. That's a long time to get to know yourself. And without all that stimulation coming in from TV and the radio and books and other people and your phone and all that, you're just amazed at what comes up. And if you go, you take the first five vows of a Buddhist monk or nun. You vow uh, not to tell any lies. That's why it's silent. Seriously, you know how easy it is to put a spin on something the minute you open your mouth? No killing, so it's a vegetarian me menu. No stealing, so it's free. They don't charge for it. can't take anything. No sexual in in impropriety, so you can't even look another person in the face. Um, and no intoxicants, so there's no, or stimulants, so... For the first, for the newbies, they offer in the morning one cup of half decaf coffee. The rest of the time, you're on your own. <laughs> so when I came back from that, I, I had lunch at an old Buffalo Grill with a friend of mine who now lives in Austin. He's a devout Buddhist practitioner. And uh, he asked me, um, how'd it go? And I actually was at a loss of words to say how it went. I said, oh, I don't know. The one thing that comes up for me is that I'm just so thankful. I'm so grateful. And he said, well, it worked. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, he said, the Buddhists tell a story about the turtle that lives on the bottom of the ocean. They don't know which ocean because the turtle moves around. And once every thousand years, the turtle comes up for a breath of air. And it goes back down for another thousand years. So imagine that you were out in a small boat on one of these oceans, and you had a small brass ring about this big in your hand. And on impulse, you decided to throw it out over the ocean. And at the moment the brass ring comes down over the ocean, the turtle's head comes up and a brass ring goes around the turtle's neck. How unlikely would that be? 
said, that's pretty unlikely. And he said, precisely. And those are the odds of your being here in this incarnation, in the circumstances in which you currently live, to have the life that you're living right now. You're not in Bangladesh, folks. You're not in Ukraine. You're not in sub-Saharan Africa. You're privileged to be right here, right now. And after that well of gratitude that comes with awareness, oh my God, then what? There's the wonder. And then awareness, wonder, and what's next we'll get to next Sunday, awareness, wonder, and what's next is, or you have to come back. <laughs> and you have to do your homework. You have to do your homework. I'm not saying I haven't said here, I hope you don't hear that, that religion can't be useful. It can be. It just needs to be seen for what it is. <clears throat> A set of words I've used in here before. I just want you to know that I know I'm repeating myself. But words that are worthy of frequent repetition are from the works of Elizabeth Barrett Browning. Earth's crammed with heaven, every common bush afire with God, but only he who sees it takes off his shoes. The rest sit around and pluck blackberries. We have a choice. Hafiz, I do not want to step so quickly over a beautiful line on God's palm as I move through Earth's marketplace today. I do not want to touch any object in this world without my eyes testifying to the truth that everything is my beloved. Something has happened to my understanding of existence that now makes my heart always full of wonder and kindness. I do not want to step so quickly over this sacred space on God's body that is right beneath my own foot. And as I dance with precious life today, may it so be. As I said, in March, Susanna Heschel's going to be here. Her father, Abraham Joshua Heschel, is a great philosopher, Jewish social activist. He said there are two possible ways of knowing, to, knowing and responding to the world, the way of reason and the way of wonder. And today I'm pushing wonder because reason is addicted to control, whereas the way of wonder accepts the mysteries of life. I'm not saying that reason and wonder are enemies. They aren't. They are just distinct. I'm just saying that if you use reason alone, what happens is that our concepts about what we think is true block our encounter with what is. Theories, explanations, doctrines, beliefs separate us from mystery. Wonder is what allows us to be truly open to the world. So our theme is making sacred the already sacred journey. This is a matter of awareness, of re-knowing, recognizing and wonder is only going to emerge in the presence of an awareness that everything is sacred. If nothing is sacred, then no one is sacred, and nothing will evoke wonder. You don't have to figure mystery out. You don't 
Just be open to it. Just let it nurture your spirit. We, we learn to live the mysteries of life, not to solve them. So religion can provide a framework for understanding and encountering the mystery, but it's not the mystery. It's the bucket that holds the water. It's not the water. It's the finger that points to the moon. It's not the finger. You can't produce wonder, but you can be open to it. You can welcome it. You can make space for it. But <clears throat> darn it, you can't do this. You knew I was going to get here. You cannot do this without a daily spiritual practice. The title of the class today that I gave is Lost in Wonder, Found in Love. And where is the mystery best seen? Where is the mystery best encountered? In ordinary life. No matter where you go this week, no matter what happens, remember this. You carry precious cargo, so watch your step. See you here next Sunday, and remember to help clean the chairs out to the walls. Thank you.